Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today, we continue in our sermon series on the core values of First Pres. In this sermon, First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun talks about a trait we all need help with on occasion. We continue our series on the core values of our church, values we hope to strive towards and instill in our lives. And today we will look at the core value of humility. As you may, may recall, First Pres has five core values and the first letter of each forms the acronym PAVS. It's a reminder that if we apply these values into our lives, we will have straighter paths to Jesus. Here they are. Try to remember what they are. You ready? Say it after I say the letter. P stands for presence. Good job. A stands for authenticity. Right. T stands for thoughtfulness. You were thoughtful enough to remember it. H stands for humility. No boasting now, if you got that one right. And S stands for service. Well done, you all. Or in Hawaiian, we would say, meaning good or excellent. We will try to keep repeating paths every week until we can all remember these five core values and keep them steeped in our souls. Since we'll be highlighting the core value of humility, let me say right off the bat, that humility does not mean you are of no worth while others are worthy. It does not mean if you are, you are to be a doormat to anyone. It does not mean you have to be timid, fearful, or weak. No, humility is taking the strong, courageous, and firm stand that you know from where, from where your str true strength and wisdom comes, and that is from God and that you live in the reality knowing that you have limits to your wisdom, strength, and spiritual maturity. One of the best definitions of good mental health is that you see and know reality. You know who you really are, both your strengths and your limits. And people would flourish so much more if they were humble. Wouldn't our church be so attractive and fun and healthy if it were an incredibly humble community? I've told you before that if I could write another book, it would be on humility. Why? Because I'm so good at it. And now the film crew is like laughing and rolling on the floor. I mean, I should get a medal for my humility the Congressional Medal of Humility with my name on it and big letters. My book would, will undoubtedly be a bestseller. And guess what the title will be? It would be something dripping with humility like, you too can be humble like me. Or Dan Chun's greatest stories of his humility or some snazzy commercial marketing title like Purpose Driven Humility, or how humility puts more order and neatness in your life than Marie Kondo. Seriously, humility is a value we ought to really want in our lives 
in our church, in our country, because I believe it's the secret to a fulfilling life. It's just that we don't normally talk about humility. We talk about success and accomplishments and fame and money and good looks and physical strength, but not humility. Parents often say, I just want my children to be happy. Well, how about, I just want my children to be humble? For from humility comes wisdom, which is worth gold and the accurate picture of who you really are. The reality is we will be in deep kimchi if we are proud. Now, those aren't my words. Those are the words of the Bible. Well, the Bible doesn't have the words kimchi in it, but it does say in a direct and compelling way that we need to get our show together and not be prideful. The Bible says it is super serious business when it comes to humility with horrible repercussions if you are proud. So check this out from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 1, verse 51. God has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Huh. Is that why we are confused? Do proud thoughts make us scatterbrains? Next verse. And then both in the, the Bible books written by Jesus' brothers and the apostle Peter, it says these exact words. And here's where it gets even more amped up about pride versus humility. James 4, 6, but God gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, and all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life where God is always opposing me. I mean, life is hard enough without God against me. If, he, if he's going to rain down his grace and mercy to the humble, then darn, I want to be humble. I want our church to be humble. I want our world to be humble. I don't want God opposing me if I'm proud. I love how the Apostle Peter says that you should clothe yourselves with humility. Now, the title of this sermon is Clothe Yourselves with Humility. And just as we put on clothes every day, we should put on humility every day and never take them off unless we shower. We wouldn't forget to put on clothes where we are heading out to the grocery store to the office, right? Well, the Bible is saying, don't forget to put on the clothes of humility every day. Now, here's a great perspective. If people would be humble, they would be so open to new ideas, actually listening more to others. They would be apologizing more to each other, asking for forgiveness more, and we would get a lot more done if we don't care about who gets the credit. But don't miss the biggie in this we would also turn to God more, who is so key to having a great life. Why? Because we know we don't have all the answers. And God designed us, so we should listen to him and read the operating manual 
he gave us the Bible. And basically, a humble life lives in reality. A proud life lives in fantasy. In a false world of too high a view of ourselves, a humble life confesses at least four things. Number one, I am not wise enough to know what to do all the time. So I got to talk to God and to others. Do you know that after I write up the first draft of my sermon, I email it to 16 people for input or correction because I know I'm not wise enough to know everything that a Bible passage says or how to teach something. And that's a reality. Second thing, a humble life confesses, I'm not physically strong enough so I need God's power and healing. My body is not perfect, breaks down, and, it, and so I need help. Then a third confession, I am not emotionally strong enough, so I need his peace. Life is hard, hurtful, devastating at times. No time to play macho man or Amazon woman. I need to admit to God and to others, I'm not emotionally strong enough to handle this world. And then fourth, I'm not consistent enough. So I need Jesus and his forgiveness. I say one thing and do another and sometimes I do the thing I hate the most. It's when we try to live a life without consulting God, without asking for his power and strength, without asking him for his patience and wisdom that we mess up big time. Any 12-step program knows that unless you rely on a higher power, it's going to be hard to kick that addiction. Millions have discovered the truth, and millions have discovered that the higher power has a name. It's Jesus, and Jesus wants to be our friend and walk with us towards sobriety and safety and security, a saved life that becomes more abundant with him. But as we have talked in previous weeks on the core values of presence and authenticity, we need the presence of God in our life. We need to be authentic enough to admit that we need help. Now, I'll preach on the core value of authenticity next week, but for now, I want to be clear that as British author and theologian C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And thinking less of yourself means thinking more of God. So talk to him all the time. Before every business meeting, pray something like, God, give me your wisdom and the strength to do the right thing. When you wake up, start talking to God. Lord, help me in the work I have to do today via Zoom. Or help me parent my kids, whether at home or at school. Give me endurance patience because in all humility I can't do it on my own. Or as my friend Carl used to do, every time just before he would pick up the phone at the office, Carl would say, help me God. And then he would say, hello. He wanted God's wisdom, strength, and patience. And those would be great, authentic, humble prayers. When C.S. Lewis says, think less of yourself, he did not mean you are to be a doormat, but rather to not think of yourself as the main player in the room. But neither should you be a super wimp 
who's always talking about your problems and how your life is so hard, because then it becomes all about you. You become self-absorbed instead of being compassionate towards others. Humility can get all twisted like that in people's minds. Some people even practice humility to receive praise, and that's twisted. I know some of you might be thinking, but Dan, I am insecure. I feel bad about myself. But be careful of how that can turn into pride. How can that be prideful? Well, if pride is an obsession with self, then surprisingly, insecure people qualify as proud. After all, insecurity makes you think about yourself all the time and that the world may mainly revolves around you. So how do we kick that? We practice humility so that there's more of God in our lives and more praise to God who created us and gives us success in what we do. There's no doubt in my mind that if anything good happens at this church, it's because God had his fingerprints all over it. We are grateful for his leading. We continually try to think more about him and his mission rather than making it all about us as like continual consumer Christians. It was his idea, his power, his strategy. Then it was my job here at the church, the elders and, and the members, to figure out what are his ideas and his strategy and then ask for his power for endurance to accomplish them. Being humble takes tremendous courage because I believe it takes courage to admit that you could be wrong. It takes courage to then pivot. It takes courage to give all the glory to God. It takes courage for a married couple or two friends to admit that they each contributed in a miscommunication. Some of the greatest things that have happened at this church is because I was wrong on something and had to admit I was wrong and I needed to change directions. Many years ago, people like Barbara Fabre and Mary Vinson and Gil Berger told me that we should get involved in Compassion International, but I really was not interested. And finally, after much pleading, I said, okay, put a card table on the lanai of the old campus church and see if you can sponsor some children who needed to be released from poverty in Jesus' name. And they got four kids sponsored that Sunday. And I was happy. I didn't encourage it, for I didn't see the vision and effectiveness of Compassion International. But then years later, while visiting the headquarters of Compassion International in Colorado, I realized I was wrong by just watching the passion, the passion of the employees there. And, and God's power was released as our church all got involved. And now we are one of the biggest sponsors of children through Compassion. And with Hawaiian Islands Ministries, we helped to create a movement to get our whole state involved, and now Hawaii, other than Colorado, has the largest number of Compassion Child sponsors in the nation. God's will was trying to be unleashed, and I was the block. Our, children, our church alone has probably now sponsored uh, by now more than 1,200 children. 
1,200 children who might not have been sponsored if I didn't repent of my blindness. Now, many years ago, the global leaders of the Alpha Course from England were invited by staff member Yolanda Miller to introduce our church and others about the Alpha Course. I, I went to the seminar held at our church and I didn't get it. I was dense. I even walked out early. I walked out on the big famous leaders of Alpha, Nikki and Pippa Gumbel, Nikki and Scylla Lee, Emmy Wilson, CEO Trisha uh, Neal, Ken Costa, and they were at our church. I mean, how dense can a person be? And then years later, I got it. As some friends over dinner made a strong presentation about Alpha that made me reconsider. And today, we are a hub church, as Alpha calls it, for all of Hawaii, and we are a main source to inform and train churches all over the islands about Alpha. It is one of the most fruitful ministries we have in introducing people to Christ and to teach basic things about the faith, like why is there suffering? Does prayer really work? How does this healing prayer happen? And what is the Holy Spirit? Who is Jesus really? And it might not be too late for you to join even now. You can sign up. I mean, I made a big mistake, a huge mistake, by not having Alpha earlier, and I grieve about that. And speaking about the Holy Spirit, for years I didn't get it about the Holy Spirit. I missed the boat on, on on that one too. I mean, the Spirit is real. He can empower us. He can give us God's wisdom, and we have now learned to pray for healing, and people are getting healed, and their gifts are being released. We now today pray expectantly and often for healing and comfort right then, strength and encouragement for one another and expect the Holy Spirit to hear our prayers and often intervene right then. Now, how did that all happen? Well, years ago, I had to admit in a sermon that I was wrong about the supernatural gifts of healing, prophecy, tongues, I thought those gifts were just for Jesus and the apostles and ended with them. But I was wrong. We could be trained in those gifts. And so we had healing services and people got healed. And since then, many have been prayed for and many have received miraculous healings. Many received supernatural words to strengthen, comfort, and encourage others. And all of that I had blocked for years. I was wrong. Humility means we can say, I was wrong. Have you ever made a mistake in your life that you then had to admit and backtrack? One of the ways our staff tries to inculcate or develop more of a core value of humility is to know that when we come up with ideas or evaluate strategies, that the strongest thing we can say is, I think I'm right, but I might be wrong. We can never say, I'm 100% right, my way or the highway. This is from the Lord. Hear ye, hear ye, and read this on tablets of stone that God just gave me on Mount Sinai. No, we can never say that. We might think we are right, 
but we always put out there that, there might, that we might be wrong. And as I shared, I have been the poster boy for being wrong on some major things. But occasionally, hopefully, I've been right on on some major things too. Another thing we have is when seeking God's will and making decisions, we say and believe that more eyes, clearer vision. If you have read my book on how to pick a spouse, rule number one is when you are thinking of marrying someone early on in the courtship, give permission to your friends to truly tell you what they think of your boyfriend or girlfriend. In one of the most important decisions in life, people rarely allow their friends to tell them what they really think about who they think about marrying, and that is tragic. It's one of the biggest reasons people get divorced as much as they do. I'm convinced about that. Nine times out of ten, the conversation goes more like this. Hey, don't you like Johnny? He is so great. He is so wise. He makes me laugh. He knows what I think before I say it. He's so gracious. He's so godly and so spiritual. Great conversationalist. So what do you think about him? And by then, you're so painted into a corner that you can't really say what you really think because you're afraid you're going to lose a friend. So, normally, you end up just avoiding the truth by saying, Oh, Johnny? Oh, yeah, like, he, he's really, he's a great, good choice. Well, under your breath, you're saying, if you don't mind dating a sociopath, in choosing a spouse, those in love normally aren't thinking rationally at, at a peak of infatuation. Instead, a, a woman will say, well, the Lord talked to me, and I know this is his will because my boyfriend is great. He's kind of like, you know, Jesus, loving and kind. Or the guy says, isn't she great? She's like a saint, so patient and perfect. And both cases mean trouble. No one is perfect. Humility is seeing reality as it really is and being open to other people's thoughts. But hopefully, as we all strive for humility, we can hear God's voice more clearly and depend on his strength more and admit that we are not wise enough, we're not strong enough, rich enough to save ourselves or our planet without God. We won't get past our addictions with a strength with a strength of a higher power who we know has a name of Jesus. Unless we are humble enough to say, I have an issue I got to deal with that is hurting me and my family and my friends and my job. You know, in, in the Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8, is one of my favorite Bible passages on humility. It's a passage that shows how out of a person's great self-esteem, he or she can choose to be humble and serve others. And no one should think they are so high that they don't need to serve others. And so hear these words from the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words to a church in a Greek city called Philippi. And here's what it says. So look for the nuggets of truth in it. Philippians 2, 3-8. It says this, Do nothing 
from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of, of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sometimes we can think we are above it all and the Christian life is all about asking God to bless us more with money and prestige and status and position and power. But humility leads to service to others and love. I mean, think on this passage I just read. Jesus Christ is God, right? Fully divine. He chose to come to this earth and take the form of a man and then, like us, feel pain and depression and betrayal and injustice. He didn't have to do that. He did it out of love. And the Bible passage says he emptied himself of all of his glory and power to do that. He became, it said, like a servant. A servant, you say? Did you know that at his last supper with his disciples, he washed their feet like a servant would do uh, for guests before dinner started? The King of Kings, the Almighty God, who was disguised in human form, became a servant, a foot washer? That now begs the question, why should any of us have the pride to think that we are better than others when Jesus, our Lord, chose to become lower to lift others up? Why do we get so upset and stew over situations where we were not treated right when Jesus chose to go lower and as a result be offended? He chose to go so low that he would be wrongfully accused of a false crime and then was executed in painful crucifixion. The gospel is that Jesus died on a cross for us, for our sin, not for his sins, because he didn't have any in the first place. And why did he do that? Because we are unable to take care of that sin by ourselves. We can't erase our sinful attitude and actions. And at the end of our life, we have to pray for that. Even in this world, we know that, that Every wrong, every crime must be paid for. And so it's with God. Jesus paid the price for that because we can't. He paid for it with his life. So our bill for our sin has already been paid for by him. Now you may think you don't have any sin, but maybe that's a pride issue too. So quit also though, trying to beat yourself up on thinking that you need to pay for your sin by harming yourself. He's taken care of it if you decide to follow him. All he's asking you, hoping for you, that you realize that he is the Messiah who wants to become your friend. He can save you. He can help you today on this earth 
and make your life a lot better. So quit being so prideful, which makes your life worse, and admit it, that you can't get by in your life on your own. You might be able to do a lot on your own for a while, but for the long haul, it's better with God than without Him. It takes humility to confess that. It is pride if you think you don't need Jesus and can be your own Messiah. Everything, all our blessings have come from Him. You, you think you're a self-made man or woman. You're not. You have been so advantaged because of God. He has given you head starts in so many areas with so many contacts or opportunities or blessings that you had nothing to do with that gave you the possibility of your accomplishment. So let's not be so proud to think you're the Messiah, the self-made person who can save yourself. The more you think that, the deeper the hole you will dig for yourself and the more trouble you will get into because it's all a lie and not reality. And as you've tried to make it on your own, how has that really gone, really? One of the greatest struggles we have in this world is loneliness. And if we're really honest, we could use a Messiah who desires to be our friend. In the Bible, there's a guy named John, and he's a cousin of Jesus. And he became uh, known um, for uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of baptisms of people. And, and so some called him John the Baptizer. But he got it right. He knew that all blessings, yes, all blessings, come from God. Now, hear these profound words of John the baptizer in the Gospel of John. In chapter 3, 27 to 30. No one can receive anything except that what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase that I must decrease. Three quick points. First of all, John declared, I am not the Messiah. And that is something we all need to say every day when we get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I am not the Messiah. It's a humility pledge. Talk to God all day to ask him for his wisdom, his will, his strength, his forgiveness, and to get through the day in a way that you might honor him and be healthy for you. Then, just before you go to bed and you're looking in the mirror again, maybe brushing your teeth, and you think about the day and some of your victories or failures and disappointments, say again to the mirror image of yourself, I am not the Messiah. You're not perfect. So don't be so prideful to think that I should have been, it should have been a perfect day where you controlled everything. You are not the Messiah. You tried your very best. 
you ask God for wisdom and sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't hear it. Um, and, but so be humble enough to hand all of your anxieties to Jesus and then go to sleep. He's the Lord, not you. Try the humility pledge tonight or tomorrow. Second point, John refers to himself as the best man at a wedding. And a best man should not take the spotlight from the bridegroom. You've seen those movies where the best man giving a toast at a wedding steals a spotlight from a bridegroom by getting drunk or saying things inappropriately, telling bad jokes, going on too long. Maybe you've been at some of those weddings. I have presided at hundreds of weddings and the stories I could tell of best men taking attention away from the bride and groom. So embarrassing. And the best man should never make it all about himself. At the wedding or at the rehearsal or at the parties. And we must remind ourselves in humility, we are the we are the best men or the maids of honor, and Jesus is the bridegroom. So he gets the honor and glory and gratitude each and every day. And it all succinctly comes together in this last verse where Jesus says that his motto in life is, I must decrease and he, Jesus, must increase. If we are truly humble, we can say that as we decrease in our thinking that we alone are the masters of fate, we can see the importance of having Jesus who gave his life for us and suffered for us and desires to guide us to be the center of our lives and allow him to lead us in wisdom and strength. As David Chang pointed out to me, that God made us with our strengths and yes, even our weaknesses, However, if we're humble, we realize that weakness is just a judgment that we put on ourselves. Weakness is when we judge ourselves in comparison to others. And in humility, God has created each and every part of us that God wants to use each of us, even though those parts that we think are weaknesses. Humility is thinking of yourself as no more or no less than God does of you. Now, you, for you veteran Christians, this may be a time for you to recalibrate your life towards humility and more faith in God. And from the Philippians passage, we learned that rather than investing all of your energy in yourself, humility says invest that energy in someone else. For others of you today, maybe you've never committed your life to Christ, never formally invited him into your life to be your friend who will stand with you, to be your Lord of whom you can trust and allow him to really lead you in wisdom and strength. And this is all brand new or kind of new for some, but maybe today you may want to say, okay, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if you can really enhance my life, then I want to be all in. And if that's the case for you, or maybe a Christian who wants to recalibrate his or her life, then let me pray with you a simple prayer that you can join with me in your hearts. So let's all pray. Lord, it's part of your divine wisdom and providence that you brought us all together today.
to be online to participate in this service and to hear this message. And for some people here, they may want to say, okay, I want to try this. If you are who you say you are, Jesus, then I want to be all in. And for those people, it's just a simple prayer of sorry, thank you, please. It's always good in humility to say this, and you can follow those of you who want to say this prayer of, Lord, sorry, I haven't followed you. Maybe I neglected you. But I want to say thank you as I've learned of all the things you've done for me. Forgiveness, taking a bullet for me, dying on a cross to cover my sins. So please come into my life right now. And I want to be in your life. And I want to commit my life to you. And I really mean it. And then others, there may be who are in a sense saying, yeah, I've said I've been a Jesus follower for some time, a Christian, but I really want to recommit. And for those people, basically the same prayer of just sorry that I've kind of wandered. Sorry I've just kind of been neutral or just first gear. But thank you for all you've done. And please come into my life in a more full way. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And I really mean it too. And we say all these prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer, you may notice on the screen there's a commit button. And if you would hit that, that would be one way of your saying, I, I sign on the dotted line and okay, I'm in on this, God. And then you can see there's also a prayer button that if you hit that, um, that would help us connect with you and, and uh, someone from our church staff or one of our leadership team would love to pray with you right now and just kind of seal the deal before our Lord. And it's all confidential and they would love to do that. So consider that, hitting those two buttons right now. At this time, Leon is going to lead us in a song that when we've committed our lives to the Lord, we really want our lives to be a, a real tribute to Him and that God gets all the glory, that Jesus is the bridegroom and we're just the best men or the maids of honors. And now, before I give the final blessing, I just want to say that, especially during this time when we're in lockdown, we really need to connect with one another and talk things over, maybe ask questions. Some of you have some doubts, some fears, or it's just good to talk about um, the message I just gave. And so if you want to, right after, you can see in the, in the chat pane, there's a, there are connect groups you can go to. And um, right after this service, we'd love to connect with you and, and just have these small groups of discussing. We have some questions and some staff or lay leaders who will um, lead us in those discussions. But for all of you, before you head off um, to wherever, I have a blessing for you. So please receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. 
And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love and grace of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So see you next week. Ahui ho. And uh, God bless. Bye-bye. It's natural to think of ourselves first. We continually need God's grace to keep us on a path of humility. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prez website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Normally, we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kaka'ako. But for now, during the pandemic, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11, and for the Vine, Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and details on any reopening. If you have any questions or needs, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.